Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hey guys and welcome to the return of Mike and Matt doing the Hall of Fame video game podcast together because I am Matt and there he is on the other side of the mic. It is Mike Desmond Ezio Staub. How are you, Mike? I'm doing good. I'm reliving my ancestors past while hooked up to a machine that's not at all like the Matrix at all. Well, nothing like that at all. It's a complete, not a ripoff of the Matrix. No, completely new idea. But Mike, thank you for joining me right after we're just passing Easter weekend. Yeah. Thank you for joining me at usually our regular schedule time. We're a few hours later, but it is nice to be face to face doing this once again. Yeah, it's been a little while, Matt. I'm really happy that things are are good and are going well in your life right now. I was happy to uh, record a couple of stupid episodes while you were gone, just really sneaking them in there. And I'm happy that you're back, though. It doesn't feel the same uh, when you're not here. So I'm happy to be here. And uh, we're talking about a game that a lot of people like. Yeah, a lot of people a lot do of people. like this game, Mike. So other people, but yes, a lot of people. So let's talk about this series, Mike, that I'd say is probably to this date, one of the most popular yearly released franchises out there. And let's talk about where it really became something really special. And that is the Assassin's Creed series. Now, Mike, what is this series? What does it mean to you? What do you think of when you think of Assassin's Creed? When I think of Assassin's Creed as a series, I can't say too much just because from the get-go, but it's just a series that I I respect that it's there. I know that a lot of people love it. I'm just not the... I, I never delved too deep into Assassin's Creed. But what uh, is funny about Assassin's Creed is it falls into the this kind of weird spot with video games where the first game in the series isn't that good, but the sequel is like leaps and bounds better. And the series is kind of defined by the second game in that series. So a couple that always pop out, Uncharted, right? Uncharted 2 is way better than the first one. Assassin's Creed 2 is really where the series becomes what the series is. Uh, Mass Effect 2, people would argue, is by far the best Mass Effect. And and Zelda 2, Mario Brothers 2. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. On the last two. But no, Assassin's Creed 2 is a game that I think it they totally figured out how Assassin's Creed should work at that point in time when two came out. Now the first game, I remember seeing the first game on like game informer magazines when I was working at GameStop, like full, like splash page coverage on Assassin's Creed and how great this was going to be and how special this was. And it's got this really cool name and you're playing as like this hooded assassin character and like, ancient Jerusalem and you're walking around killing the Knights Templar from one of these assassin girl people. Then the reviews came out from the original Assassin's Creed and everyone was just all every review was like, yeah, it's all right. Like the hype train didn't leave the station. And then it was like a year later or so when Assassin's Creed two was shown and they started showing Italy and just how built up Ubisoft kind of created renaissance era italy and how good it looked and i don't remember all the cities that you're in but i believe that venice is a big part of it 
And it's one of those things where you're really getting to walk around the city and you're seeing videos and pictures and you're meeting and you meet the, the new character who ends up really kind of becoming the, the real protagonist of the, of the, the jump back series, as we'll call it. Right. Because in Assassin's Creed, you play as, as Desmond, but Desmond goes into this machine called the animus, which takes him back into the body of his ancestors who were like these ancient assassins. And the one that you play for, play as in Assassin's Creed 2 is Ezio. And Ezio really is like the series. I think that when most people think about Assassin's Creed, you immediately go to Ezio. And it was, a, it was one of those games that really stood out. I believe it launched in like the spring... Oh, no, I'm sorry. The November. I'm sorry. The fall. The fall of uh, 2009. I want to yeah, say. Yeah, very good. Is memory. when this game November came out. November 2009. So, Mike, a couple things based on what you said, and and as always, you're you're right on point. When I think about games where the sequel is significantly better, it is harder to think of than you might <laughs> when you might think. Is that I first thought of Bioshock, second game, not quite as good as the first. No. You know, I then started thinking about Devil May Cry. Second game, not as good as the first. And that's more common than not. But here we have the opposite where we go through our Hall of Fame. There's been some where the first game is more of a proof of concept. And the second one really showed off what the game truly wanted to do. And I think this is one of those more rare cases. So Assassin's Creed to me, like you, Mike, was not a series that I ever really, really, really connected with. Some of my closest friends love this series. The second game in particular for them was one of their favorite games of all time. When this came out, I remember just anytime I spoke to them, was talking to them, they said, yeah, I'm playing through the game again and playing through, as you said, Venice and Florence in Italy was really beautiful. It was really special. They really captured something special with the way the maps, the setting, how you're doing this parkour around this world, the, the open world that that Ubisoft at this time, and a lot of competitors were working with these different open world concepts, Ubisoft really did something right with their open world games with Assassin's Creed. It's now kind of a staple of an Ubisoft game is, is their open world. And I'd say Ubisoft, this is like their first, I don't know if you say Ubisoft or Ubisoft, whatever you say, they had their first real home run franchise here from an original IP. I mean, they, they've had good series. Ubisoft's been around for a really long time. But now from you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, this has been a almost a yearly game that comes out, whether it be Valhalla, Origins, Brotherhood, Assassin's Creed 4. I mean, there's just, it goes back and back and back. But this was the one that really distinguished Assassin's Creed as something really special. Yeah, this was the game that, that, that was, it was the exclamation point at the end of the sentence was, it was a definitive take on what this game was and has been influential to the rest of the series. Now, I know that Assassin's Creed now is more of kind of like this open world RPG as opposed to like this semi, this kind of open world assassination game in Assassin's Creed like two. And you're not really, I mean, I guess technically you're an assassin in these new games, but like you can equip any sort of weapons. You can do all this stuff. Like Ezio just has Ezio's tools. 
when you've got like the the eagle eye that you can use to see stuff and you climb to the top of these towers and you unlock the map and it sounds a little like breath of the wild i do believe that zelda probably borrowed a little bit from ubisoft because ubisoft really did kind of create the template for what a modern open world game can be i guess without race cars and uh, and like modern era crime or horses well there is horses in this game but i mean like red dead redemption and how you kind of unlock the map to see more is very interesting but what i always felt was cool about these games were was the stealth aspect of it all and how you have to use stealth to your advantage because you're an assassin you're not like a warrior you're you're this kind of you're a slight nimble and quick guy and it's got that metal gear solid kind of vibe to it where you'll get caught and people will start talking and they'll try to find you and you have to jump off a roof into a ba- into like a bucket of hay so that they 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 leave you alone but you have to like you have to watch the guards and watch their motions and sneak up behind them and stab them with those little holdout daggers you got in your wrists and while after a while I do believe the annualization of this franchise cheapened it just like it does to everything as a PSA to any video game developer, why are you making annual games? It never works. After a while, after a while, people just get bored of it and the formula doesn't work anymore. And Ubisoft, unfortunately, or Ubisoft, you're right. I don't exactly remember what it is. They're one of the worst offenders of that model. They they did that with Assassin's Creed to the point where they were like, oh, maybe we should take a year off because our games are starting to get cheap. And Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the one that takes place in Greece, is is actually really cool. And I had a lot of fun with the time I spent with that game. And also Greece is like in that game, it's gorgeous. Like the, the thing that this game, these games do so well is the historical accuracy. So one of the best reasons to play a game like Assassin's Creed 2 is for the is for the content tourism. It's like you can really just kind of walk through Venice and Florence in during the Renaissance. And not a lot of people get the experience to go to those cities at all, let alone during the period of time when they were kind of at like the height of their cultural significance. So I think from a content tourism standpoint, I think the, these games are really special and accurate, like super accurate. Ubisoft does a really good job of like learning everything about these areas. And you know what? I love what I do love about Ubisoft in this instance is that they don't give the fans, quote unquote, what they want. Because from the beginning of time, everyone's like after Assassin's Creed, like two or three come out and they change the time you're in the you're in Italy and during the Renaissance, then you're in America during the revolution. Everyone's like, oh, they're definitely going to go to Japan. There's definitely going to be a ninja game. And then they haven't done it. And I love that. Like there's a million and one ninja games. And I don't always associate like, well, I guess maybe I should because of the mafia, but I don't always associate assassins with Italians. So, and I should probably, because there's a lot of them. This is really cool. It's really cool that this battle between the assassins guild and the Knights Templar has come on, come out of the middle ages and into the Renaissance. And it's really interesting to see that when you're playing Assassin's Creed two. Yeah, Mike, you're, you're right again in that there is like a historical experience with these games and people tune in for that there's a history lesson there and people like to be able to play these games to get a glimpse of the 1400s the 1500s this game has historical figures like leonardo da vinci is in this yeah like yeah there's stuff like that that people tune in for these games because they know they're going to get 
semi-realistic interpretations of these places. They actually have historical places that are accurate buildings that were designed in this particular game, Assassin's Creed 2, that are accurate to Venice and Florence. And that's really cool. I mean, I always appreciate, I know people now they're talking about that with the new Horizon Forbidden the West game. And they're saying there's spots in San Francisco. And like you and me both know when there's games when there's New York or Queens or Brooklyn in it, we're like, yeah, this is cool. This is New York. And it's it's fun when you have accurate locations in games. I mean, I mean Spider-Man, right? Like people were finding their apartments in Spider-Man just to like see what it was like. So I totally get that. And the and the tourism aspect of it is is really special. And Ubisoft is like, they've done it better than anyone, really, with the way to recreate these cities. I don't remember which one takes place in France, but when uh, Notre Dame Cathedral caught fire a few years ago and partially burnt down, they used the Assassin's Creed game to rebuild they use the models to rebuild or at least give them an idea on how to rebuild Notre Dame. Cause I keep saying casino. That's terrible. <laughs> Notre Dame cathedral in, in Paris. So they, they, they do a good job. Ubisoft has some really good R and D to go out there and to, and to locate these places and these things that people need to see. And I, I gather a lot of the aspects of Florence and, and Venice are still stand that are present in this game, but not, they weren't, they're not modern right anymore we look back at them as though they're ancient but in this game you're looking at it as though it's modern these bustling metropolis which is a great place for an assassin to be able to hide and i love that aspect of assassin's creed is that you have to like hide in plain sight and you have to like narrowly like push past people and hide in crowds and i love that stuff i do like stealth gameplay to a degree i usually end up failing a lot of them and then end up having to run out and shoot everyone uh, and every stealth like shooting game ever, it's always like, oh yeah, I'm I'm good, I'm good for like eighty to ninety percent, and then it's like, well, guns blazing time, we're killing everyone. But Assassin's Creed, I love the aspect of like you're this assassin, so how do you get away? Well, you run off, you run off a roof, and you jump into hay, or you get out and you walk through a crowd, and they can't see you, or you have to stay far enough behind so you don't freak the guy out in front of you. It's it's a crafty little action based chess game, and the combat in this game isn't great. But it's because you're not supposed to really get into fights. That's like not the point. The stealth gameplay is excellent. Like being able to just narrowly sneak up on someone and just like kind of stab them. And then I guess hide their body somewhere is always is always really good. But like if Ezio gets cornered by like guards and stuff, like he's kind of in trouble because he's just one assassin. He doesn't have the great swords and the axes and hammers and spears that you would eventually get in uh, newer Assassin's Creed games. But he's kind of like... Just assassin guy, he's got to get away. Yeah, no, you're right. These games, they did expand upon the you know, weapons and the way you can assassinate and do different things in this game. But you know, the first game was all just counters, basically. You had to counter yep. everything. And this game, at least up the ante with what you could do, but you're right. They weren't up to like Arkham levels of combat yet with the Assassin's Creed games. And it's not necessarily praised for that. It's better than the first. This yeah, game, like definitely. you said, is praised for the exploration, the the like you said, interacting with the NPCs, you know, having mm -hmm. this whole like this world that you're moving and living through, which is really cool. I mean, you compared it to Metal Gear Solid, but in those games when you're stealth, there's not crowds and crowds of people. You're just kind of no. hiding in corridors, hiding in, you know, vents and things like that. Here, you're hiding in crowds, you're hiding in hay. There's a living, breathing, quote unquote, world, and you're parkouring around these buildings. And 
there's something pretty neat about that. And yes, Uncharted was around this time. So you can say like, there's probably some inspiration one from the other, as far as all the climbing and things like that. But this game was one of the first games to really have that parkour jump from building, run across rooftops, climbing up everywhere. It really feels like one of the first games to really explore that as a main concept to a game. Yeah, it's definitely turned parkour into a a real gameplay mechanic, not like not like Mirror's Edge, which is pretty much like only a parkour game. Assassin's Creed 2 really worked on that that kind of that kind of locomotion because Ezio kind of has to get away and it like you can't you're not like if you're not you're not a viking right in this game yet you're you're an assassin and, and while you can i think you can carry some basic weapons they're all kind of trash and the best thing for you to do is to kind of just sneak up on your enemy and take them out and and run away and what better way to run away than to parkour off the side of a building or run from rooftop to rooftop and and it just it feels good it feels good it feel definitely feels better than the first game uh, obviously uncharted and Assassin's Creed are kind of contemporaries, even though they're kind of different. But I think the climb everything or the ability to climb is very important to how Assassin's Creed operates in general, just because if you're trying to scope out an area, getting the high ground is always the best move. And I think that it's highly influential. While I think in this day and age, even on the newer Assassin's Creed games, the climbing mechanics are, are a little janky. Like Zelda really perfected climbing. I, and I think that every every open world since every open world game since then is is kind of like how how do we how do we make climbing work? Yeah. Because it's I gotta tell you, when I started playing Ghost of Tsushima several months ago, I thought the game was really well done as far as the story, the cinematics, the combat. And then I wanted to climb up or down a wall and I had to find these nine ridges on this one wall. And if I missed the ridge slightly or I didn't catch the right spot, it wouldn't work. And you're right. Breath of the Wild has changed games like this, like Uncharted. Uncharted, it was always a little more free flowing. A little. Assassin's but- Creed, this always felt a little jankier. Yeah. But like the the stuff in Uncharted is like highlighted in yellow or whatever where yeah, you can where you silly. can jump. It's very it's, video gamey. It's very video gamey. And Ghost of Tsushima, yeah, that's like it's 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 hard, right? Because it's like you're influenced by Breath of the Wild. So why didn't you make the climbing better? Like that game, that like it shows you how important verticality is to an open world game. And and while Assassin's Creed 2 is kind of like at the forefront of making that work. I think that all these games draw from Assassin's Creed 2. I actually think that Ghost of Tsushima draws a lot from the Assassin's Creed games, even though I ultimately I think it's more interesting and it's a better game. Like It's a more polished, better experience than the modern Assassin's Creed games. I think that Zelda, Ghost of Tsushima, Horizon Forbidden West, all those games, they wouldn't have the the same type of way of doing things if it weren't for Assassin's Creed 2 especially. And I think that 2 really kind of sets the bar of how an open world game should should operate. Now, the open world game as created by Ubisoft has become a bit of a repetitive mess between Assassin's Creed and Far Cry. They all kind of operate similarly. They made that Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot but of their a lot a lot of their they, open but world they games. have become like a meme. Their their open yeah. world games have become a bit of an online joke. 
for sure, because it's all kind of like the same, like, all right, you find a base, you kill everything in the base, you take over the base, and there's a million things on your map, and you have to just slowly check it off. And Ghost of Tsushima is guilty of this as well. It's definitely like an Assassin's Creed game. It's just really good. It's like the best version of that modern Assassin's Creed type, especially to the ability, the way that they've been able to craft a game that looks and feels and and sounds so unbelievable. Once again, it's another version of like that whole virtual tourism thing. And Assassin's Creed, while the story is Desmond is going back into the bodies of his ancestors to stop the Knights Templar from taking over or defeating the Assassin's Guild or whatever they're called, the Assassin's Brotherhood or what I don't, I forget. I don't know. There's a million. And this, it's, it's a weird story. It doesn't necessarily work per se. I think what works the most about Assassin's Creed is that you're just doing the Ezio thing. Right. I never care about the modern story in Assassin's Creed. Like, no, I don't. no. And, and to its credit, you have, you know, some great voice talent with like Kristen Bell, who's like, Kristen Bell, man. Yeah, I know. know. These, the supporting you're in the, in the modern times. So it's like, this is back in the day where you didn't necessarily get voice talent like this all the time. So it was kind of a shocker back in the day where it's like, Oh, Kristen Bell's doing voice work for this Ubisoft series. Yeah. It was a big deal, but this story, while like you said, it's if it was a movie, which there is now an Assassin's Creed movie, it's like a D-list story. But people tend to gravitate to this one and the Ezio story because he's getting revenge for his brothers and father. And yep, yep. It's this whole revenge story, and people tend to connect because you 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 see Ezio through like decades. You're, yeah, you're, it's not just like a year in his life; like time passes. And it's really kind of unique how they tell the story. And yes, I still agree with you. This is not the Godfather. This is not uh, Citizen Kane. But people really connect to this version of the Assassin's Creed story more than any of them. I think I think it's because the character work is really good. I think ultimately that's it. And I forget, and I've brought this up on the show before, and it drives people mad when when you say it. But there was a, I think he was a, an executive at a game company might have been EA, might have been Microsoft. He said gamers don't really care about story because a lot of times they they don't retain it. They don't remember. If I ask you the story of a game, most people can't tell you about it, but they can name the lead character and they can tell you what places you've been to and they can tell you the cool things you did in those places. So ultimately, what they're saying, what they said, is that gamers don't care about story; they care about characters. They care about locations and they care about doing cool yeah, stuff. No, it's true because I know people, Mike, that will play Uncharted and Assassin's Creed and they will skip the cutscenes. They'll play these yeah. games that are really single player story driven games and they just want to get to the next action set piece or story element and just skip the cutscenes. That that drives me crazy. I feel like what's the point? Yeah, right. I think if, if you're checked not- out, if you're emotionally checked out on a game, it's like how much can you really enjoy it, right? Yeah, I know. Like, I, I maybe, I mean, you know what? I, I am a sucker for good gameplay. I won't like a game if the gameplay is bad. That is 100% true. I don't care how good the music and story is. I don't like the gameplay, not doing it for me. And I've been that way my whole life. But if I get good gameplay and great story and great characters and great music and great graphics, well, then that's just icing upon pawn icing. It's like you, you make the cake. The cake is the gameplay. The icing on the cake is a good story. The cookies you crumble on top is the music. And then like the, whatever you write on it with whatever fondant nonsense you do, that's the, that's, the, that's the graphics and the visuals. So it comes together and I'll eat that whole cake, but I need a base. 
And if the cake inside is sandpaper, I don't want it. If it doesn't play well, I don't want it. And and Assassin's Creed 2, is it, it does play well. Now, looking back at it, yes, it's very dated. The the beginning of the beginning to the middle of the first HG, HD generation is very rough. They were really trying to figure out what worked. And even in 2009, when this game comes out, they're still trying to figure out Yeah, this what is the works. 360 PS3 era. And you and me have both said that some of this stuff hasn't aged well. And there's now the Ezio collection where they've remastered these games. And they're still, it's they're not the most approachable games in 2022 because... Some of it hasn't aged well from a graphical point of view, and some from a gameplay point of view. We've got quality of life improvements in both in both sides of the coin. So yeah. you're right. Some of these games are very much of their time. This one is still people still adore this game. People still love this game, but it is hard, I think, for some people that have never experienced this series to jump in at the first or second game. I think people actually say it's better to jump in like the fourth game. I think that's the Black Flag game, the pirate oh. game. Okay. Where it's a little um, more approachable. Let me tell you, Black Flag is real good. Okay. And that's not just because I get paid to be a pirate sometimes. That game is legit. Black Flag is good. Okay. I love Black Flag because I do like pirate stuff. They never made the ninja game, but they made the pirate game. So it's fine in my book. And I love it. You got the sea shanties and the ship combat. And you're a pirate guy and you're going around the Caribbean and you're going into like the all those forts and stuff. See, but that's what I'm trying to say, right? It's once again, it's cool stuff with cool characters doing cool things. Now, Assassin's Creed 2 is a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. And I think it's probably the best of the Assassin's Creed games up until maybe 4. Uh, 4 is very, very good. I don't know if it's as good as 2, but 2 is two is excellent. 3 stinks. Yeah, it was just, We're going to go ahead and step back. Stinks. 1 isn't great, but 1 was like, like you said, a proof of concept. I don't, didn't really care about the, the, the Ezio trilogy on the whole, like I didn't care about the two games that came after Assassin's Creed 2 at all. I actually just really preferred just playing the first one. And and I and I and I think it's really special and it might get forgotten because well, that whole generation's weird. And there were a few things as a new IP in the HG HD generation, it was really hard at by this point in time to really kind of rise to the top because you're smothered by like the HD versions of every other series that we liked. But there are some series that kind of rose to the top, and I would include Assassin's Creed with Bioshock, with Uncharted, and with Mass Effect. And those are really like the games that kind of like became indicative of what good Western games could be. Now, Western games are at a, at a bit of a, a weird spot now because I think that they've run out of ideas in a lot of Western games, and they've milked this gameplay style far too much. Uh, I think we need to move past the three the three skill tree open world games. Like we get it guys. It's 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 we got it. You've done it for 10 years. It's time to stop. But a game like Assassin's Creed 2, like that's where that whole vibe starts. So you can't blame Assassin's Creed 2 for it and it's a beautiful game. And I, you're right. There are some things about it at this point that probably are a little dated just like any 3D game at any period of time. They don't age nearly as well, even when they're more modern. Yeah, I agree. I, I tend to look at newer games like the Star Wars game from EA that we played just a couple of years ago that it's Jedi uh, Fallen Order. Jedi Fallen oh, Order. Order. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. Jedi Fallen Order, while it does have a skill tree, at certain parts throughout the game, you'll get to a certain part of the story and you'll remember 
your abilities. You'll go through like a training and you'll regain some of your Jedi powers. And I like when games, you get through a certain part of the story and you unlock some sort of new power rather than having to say, well, I'm going to spend all these 17 points that I gathered on all these new skills. It's just at a certain point when you've done that in 150 different games, there's got to be a more natural way to ha- for it to happen. Also, Matt, you and I play games, I think, a lot of times pretty similar. similarly. How often do you max out all three, all three like skill trees when you do that? So if it's a game I absolutely love, I will look for every nook and cranny of the game yeah. and unlock everything. Yeah. But most of the time I'm playing through that game because there's very short time and I'll max whatever <laughs> skills I have. I know Spider-Man on you know 2018 yeah, 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 yeah. PS4 and I did not unlock every single ability to the highest degree. So here's my question for you. If people are people, if someone really loves a game like you and I were just talking about, and I, I kind of do what you're talking about and they max out every skill tree, then what's the point? Right. What's the point? You're at the end, you're ending up with the same skills. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. So why don't you use the story? I think what you, what you brought up was actually brilliant. Why don't you use the storytelling mechanism to unlock abilities as you get further through the game? Or, Unless, just, or just genuinely have different builds. Like yeah. you've said in different games where you can make an archer, you can make a swordsman. Yeah. Like limited. Fall in order, you're not making, at the end of the game, you're the same character. You and me have the same person. We might have got there a different way. Yeah. Get the same abilities. Yeah. Like I think, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, or limit the amount of points you get so that it actually mm. has impact so that my Spider-Man is not the same as your Spider-Man. And that's cool. I like that about so, it. devs. If you've been listening, first off, Mike said, making your game is just like baking a cake. You got right. all the ingredients, right? And the right <laughs> frosting to it. But number two, get those skill trees, right? All right. <laughs> Listen, they should, they should take my advice because I know how video games are made. I could do it. I absolutely can't. I have no idea. I have a friend right now who's making a video game and he's doing amazing work. And every time I watch what he's working on, I go, I don't know how you did this. I am incredibly impressed. So when you see a game like Assassin's Creed 2 that looks so good and plays so well, especially for the time, it's, it's really is, it really is a feat. And I think it's special that Assassin's Creed 2 was able to build upon the first game. Yeah. I think where the first game left, this could have been a series of mediocrity that never really excelled to any degree of heights. But now, because of Assassin's Creed 2, it proved that they could do more with that series. And ultimately, because of that, we've gotten some, some very good Assassin's Creed games. They're not all very good, but some very good games. Assassin's Creed 2 is obviously one of them. Black Flag is another. Odyssey is great. It's it's, And I'm I, I do like to a degree where they've gone. I just kind of wish they would go back to making these kind of more stealthy assassin games and not these big action RPGs. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of people out there that do agree with your sentiment there. And this game was, was a major success back in November, 2009. It sold just over 9 million copies, which between the PS3, the 360, I believe there was eventual PC release that, was an absolute mess. Ubisoft has this, have this idea of if we do this DRM, this like digital protective software, people won't copyright, they won't steal 
their games, but it's, it's a miserable thing to bypass as a gamer to try and just play their games. And it's constantly checking in if you have internet connections and it makes the games very difficult to play, even when you legally own them. And it made this copy, this version of the game on the PC almost unplayable. I don't know why everyone can't just make it easy to play video games. Cause I guess they're afraid of they're, they're afraid of their games being stolen, but sometimes they just go the wrong way with it. I'm going to tell you this much right now, Matt, if you create a video game, video game developers out there, if you're creating a video game, I understand DRM. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes DRM. Not a single consumer likes DRM. It's crazy that Steam is as popular as, as it is because it is tied with D, into DRM. But I think it's just so convenient and there's so much on it that people are just kind of shrug and move along. But to developers who are trying to go out of their way to prevent their games from being pirated, that is a fool's errand. It never works. Video games are pirated before they come out. And I understand that you have an IP that you want to protect. And you, as I think you're legally, I think you're kind of legally required to go out and go after people because then you could lose the access to your trademark or your IP, or you could, it could be in danger because if it comes to court and they're like, well, how come you never fought all this stuff? And then, then, then you're kind of stuck there kind of like, I, I don't know. And then you could actually kind of lose you can lose cases like that. So that's why these companies are so vicious when they go after people. You, It's like, it's weird. It's like you have Nintendo that sues everyone for everything, which I understand why. And that's the reason why is to protect their IP so that, so that there is a track record of them trying to protect their IP from people stealing it. And then you have things like, like id software or like valve, who's kind of like, yeah, whatever you can have it for free. That's fine. And then you have these people who try to operate in this middle ground. Like with what they did with, uh, like you're saying here with the DRM and yeah, Assassin's Take Creed 2. Yeah, did it with the Grand Theft Auto series as well. Yeah, it's like... A couple of them have their own like proprietary logins and check-ins, and it's annoying. It's it's real annoying, and it's another handful of passwords you got to remember. And it's just, it's it's a pain. It's a pain. The online all the time stuff, like people just don't like it. They never have. I remember it was a giant problem when Diablo 3 came out. It was like, it had to be online all the time. It's like, that's not what I'm looking to do, man. I just want to, I just want to play my game. And if, if, if it's not DRM and online all the time, giving you problems, it's a hundred gigabyte install from a disc that takes three hours. And I'm complaining about little, little things here, but it's, it's annoying. It is annoying. And I've gone on a completely wrong tangent. I'm not even talking about this game anymore. <laughs> so I feel like this was kind of like the beginning of that whole DRM thing. And yeah. I remember it almost killed the Xbox One. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was this was a big deal. But to, to, to praise the game, people talked about the, the updated Anvil an- engine. That's what they, Ubisoft was calling their engine here. You have to tip their cap to what became a mega franchise. I think it's 11 yeah. games in the series. It's like Madden. And like you said, they took one year off, I think, the last like seven years with Assassin's Creed games. I mean, it's something insane. And I honestly think, I mean, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. I And I do think, though, that we will see bigger breaks between these games because the the understanding of crunch is now very, very widely known by the general public and they don't like it. And I feel like I feel like there we're we're getting a pushback in terms of like the people who make these games that we're starting to get kind of like the mentality where it's like, okay, these are people and and they're human beings with lives and families and and it they do a great job and they crank out great art, but but they need to take a little bit of a break too. They can't work 100 hours a week. I think it's a combination of that 
And I think you can oversaturate the market by releasing these games every year. Yep. There becomes a point where it's like, do people want this every year? I don't. I really don't. I played Pokemon Legends Arceus at the beginning of the year, and I was kind of like, I really hope there's not another big open world game for a long time this year. Like, that's why I didn't get Horizon. That's why I didn't get Elden Ring. Because I'm like, I'm good on open world for now. Like, I don't need another open world game like so close to the last one I played. And I'm actually kind of happy that Breath of the Wild got delayed. Yeah. I well, think we kind of called that, but yeah. For me, I had played Pokemon Diamond like a few months before Legends, like a month or two before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I just played a 20 plus hour full-on Pokemon RPG. And as cool as Arceus was, sometimes you want breaks between yeah. certain franchise and series. So Yeah, and 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 I think Assassin's Creed, I think they've learned that yeah. people really like this for a long time, but we're getting tired of it. And it's more special when you can take more time with it and wait an extra year or two. What if they didn't release an Assassin's Creed for like three years and then they release something like really special, yeah. right? What if they did something like Odyssey or or is it Ragnarok? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, well, Ragnarok's the new. That's a new God of War. God of War. What? So, what was the a Valhalla? Valhalla. Valhalla. It was Origins. Odyssey. Odyssey. Valhalla. Which was Valhalla. Like one was one was Egypt. One was mm-hmm. uh, Greece, like you said. One was Egypt. One was Greece, and one was uh, Norway. But then, I guess Rome. Right? Don't you go to like Rome? Yeah. You go to Italy at some point but, as the Vikings. But you're right. To your point, Mike. Like Nintendo could release a Mario or Zelda every year if they wanted to. Yeah. And when their they did whole it, thing yeah. was they say. We want to have not necessarily a gimmick, but we create a Mario game. We create the gameplay element first. Yep. Then we make the game. So the, the Cappy, they had that decided before the game was even development. And Mario Galaxy, yeah. like they knew there'd be this whole planet gravity thing. So like Assassin's Creed needs to probably look back and do that and say, what can we do? Maybe it is going to Japan. What do we need to do to make this series special and unique and bring in maybe a different audience? Yeah. Or, or reward the, the people who've been with it since the beginning. I think there are enough open world action RPGs out there. Uh, I think a tighter experience might be better. Something more like Assassin's Creed 2 might be better. Or if you can combine the styles and do something like, imagine an Assassin's Creed 2 that plays more like the newer ones. Maybe that could work. Maybe you go back to Italy. Maybe you maybe you retell Ezio's story in the in the in the the medium that we're used to now with Assassin's Creed, that could work. Uh, maybe you make it more stealth and more Assassin-based. But yeah, I think to to refresh it and take off a few years might be a great idea for them because it's so hard to get the it's so hard to get the jump in quality from the original game to the sequel that we had in 2009. And it hasn't done that again, right? I mean, Assassin's Creed 2 is leaps and bounds better than the first game. Like the first game was like a B minus C plus kind of game, but Assassin's Creed 2 was like probably like an A minus, an yeah. A minus type of game. I was going to say A minus, definitely. Yeah. So, so I would love to see them try to rekindle that, that kind of quality that uh, the second game really had. And it's just an amazing, it's a, it's a really, it's a really amazing thing to see. And we'll see, we'll see where they go from here. But Assassin's Creed 2 is highly influential, even if. It's a series that I've only played here and there. Assassin's Creed 2 is highly influential. It's a very special game to a lot of people. And it's really remarkable remarkable in that it's a sequel that is much better than the original. Yeah, people 
actually consider this to be one of the greatest video games ever made. And it's a lot of top 100, top 50 lists, as you said, influential, definitely. So this is a game that we're happy to talk about on our 71st episode. You know, people, wow. Mike, people doubted us, but we did it again. We'll pour one, pour one out for, for Assassin's Creed 2, entering our Hall of Fame. We couldn't have done it without you, Ezio and Desmond. So Mike, <laughs> this is now where we will go back to our familiar section of uh, what have you been playing? Yeah, so Matt, like you, I'm in the process of a move. And for those of you who don't know, I've been out of my house for about a year and we're finally going back to my house because there was construction being done, but my whole podcast studio got redone. So hopefully I'll have a whole new uh, setup and it'll look great, but makes playing video games a little difficult when you're, when you're running around like crazy. And I did the, I did the episode where I talked about like the three games I was playing. And obviously we both, we both talked about Kirby, but like from different angles, which yeah. I think was really cool. And I, I, I thought Kirby was great. And I've been playing, I'm still playing a little bit of that Professor Layton and the Curious Village. It's a charming little like Tintin style game. I really enjoy it, but I needed some comfort food. So whenever I need comfort food, it's usually like fighting games. I've been playing King of Fighters 15. I've been playing Street Fighter 6. I just downloaded, I'm Street Fighter 6, Street Fighter 5, rather. 6 isn't out yet. And I just downloaded Mortal Kombat 11. I haven't played it yet, but I downloaded Mortal Kombat 11 with all the extra stuff because every so often I get the itch to play Mortal Kombat, even though I'm not really the biggest Mortal Kombat fan. But as Matt knows, because I've texted him, I've been playing Final Fantasy 7 Remake again on New Game Plus. And like, after it's been like two years since I first played that game, right? That game's two years old, right? Yeah. 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 It's been about two years since I first played that game. And I went back and played it and not everyone, everyone might not agree with me, but Final Fantasy seven remake might be the best looking Japanese game ever, ever. If we're, especially for looking at just the character models alone and not necessarily <laughs> The NPCs all look kind of rough. Uh, like you could tell, like looking at that game, like, well, that's clearly an NPC because boy, they did not put any effort into that guy. But the characters, the environment, I mean, it's just so good. I can't think, and I know that, well, it's not finished. I, listen, I played 40 hours of Midgar, okay? I'm pretty happy with that. And I, that game is that game is so good. Uh, I'm so impressed with it. And going back a few years later, you think, all right, yeah, it's probably not as good as it was. And I'm like, no. Nope, this is still really good. This is an all-time great, and I can't wait. After I finished Intermission, or whatever called Spoilers, there is a cutscene at the end where you're starting to see the party move on their way to the next town, which is calm. And uh, what they've been able to do and give these characters life from characters that only spoke in text to characters that are now fully animated, they got everything right. Every character is right. 100% right. Whether it's Cloud is too cool for school, but he's actually a big dork. Barrett's this big lovable goof. Tifa is just this really nice kind of sweethearted character. Eris is rough around the edges, like a little bit of a prankster slum, but she's also very, very cheerful and happy. They did a really good job with these characters. And I'm very excited to see how they like incorporate like Sid and Red 13. And Yuffie was awesome in intermission and, and Vincent is too cool for school kind of Sasuke kind of look. I'm excited for that. 
so uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, I've been playing through it again. I want I bought a new TV that I haven't been able to use yet. I got myself an OLED TV for my move home. So I can't wait to see Final Fantasy VII Remake on the big OLED. But I've also been spending some time at my DS and playing Professor Layton in the Curious Village. And I was upset that Advance Wars got delayed. I understand why it got delayed. I'm not mad that it got delayed. I'm just upset because I wanted to play the Advance Wars remake, but I totally understand that it's not the right environment to release a game uh, about warfare. I totally get it. And Nintendo, I totally respect the decision. Advance Wars has a really bad, difficult history when it comes to being released around not the right time. For those of you who don't know, we'll keep this really short. The first Advance Wars was released on September 11th, uh, 2001. So it's one of those things where it's just got a really bad history with it. So I totally understand why Nintendo's like, you know what? We can sit on this for a while. We're going to do all right. Pokemon sound like crazy. We can just wait a little, a couple of months and we'll have the game out there. So um, when that comes out, it comes out. But I've been playing Advanced Wars Dual Strike on the DS and it's great. It's great. It's difficult, but man, I hope that series comes back because the graphics and the characters are so good. Uh, it's such a fun Kind of like this wacky, like army men toy type of game. And it's very toyetic and fun and cute and anime and great. And I'm very excited to see more of that in the future. And we'll see. We'll see where we go from there. But that's kind of what I've been sort of playing here and there when I've had time, which is very little. What about so Mike, you, Matt? So Mike, that's cool. I want to comment on a couple of those. First off, Mortal Kombat 11 was a game that I was very curious about too. I, I purchased it probably close to two years ago. And with my time with it, I think it might be the tightest, best Mortal Kombat game that I ever played. It's That's good. And I've never been like a hardcore MK fan, but I've always been down to, to, to play any of the newer games. And this one could be the best. It was really good. It's really polished. It's something I actually should go back to. And to your point about Final Fantasy VII Remake, when I borrowed my friend's place PS4 to play this game, I kept thanking him afterwards because I think it was one of, and no hyperbole, I think it was one of the finest gaming experiences of my life because when else can you think of a series that was great prior that they completely remade, brought to life better than you could have imagined, even in your childhood dreams? I can't think of another. And they did it better where I think it actually surpasses the original. I think it's now I consider it the best game in the series. And now I expect everything that Square does to be as good as Final Fantasy VII Remake. I feel like they just pit themselves in a corner. That game is just fantastic from, like you said it, the gameplay, the cinematics, the way it runs on the PS5 with the, the, the Yukio, the interlude version. That game is just perfect. I, I, I have no idea how they did it. They knew they had to nail it. I think that's why. I think they were like, we need to do this right. Mike, there's and about 10 games as iconic as Final Fantasy VII. Again, it's number 90, 98 on IGN's top 100 games. Well, that's ridiculous. But Final <laughs> Fantasy VII is up there with probably the most iconic, you know, Super Mario 64, Final yep. Fantasy VII. Yep. You have, you know, Chrono Trigger. It's, it's maybe it's more niche than I think, but there's some games that are just iconic that if they received a remake, I don't think it's possible you could do justice to do better than in a no. reimagining retelling. No. I think this is one of the rare experiences where they did it. I think, I think Final Fantasy VII remake is the best remake ever i don't know what comes close 
Um, I mean, I would oh, love to uh, see Resident Evil Two. Resident Evil Two is really good. I mean, I think um, if they took, if you looked at games from the NES, SNES, and PS One, things like even like the original Zelda or like Link to the Past, if they ever put that into some crazy reimagining 3D adventure open world, that could potentially do it. Just like tugging yeah. at our nostalgia strings, but yeah, for sure. I don't know if that that will ever be done. Sony and you no know, Square was brave enough. And this was an expensive AAA game to make. I mean, this could have fumbled and face, you know, palmed so badly. Yeah, and it could have been. It could have been a huge disaster. It took everything that worked from Final Fantasy 15 and stripped down everything that didn't. I love Final Fantasy 15. I'm one of those weirdos who's like Mr. Final Fantasy 15. I will fight you. It's a really good game. It is really really good, good. and it probably shouldn't have come out on the hardware it came out on. That game would probably be better on a PS5 or an Xbox Series X today. Oh, for sure. When I played Final Fantasy 15 the first time, I played on a base level PS4 and loved it. Okay. And beat it in like 40 or 50 hours. And then I got it on Steam for really cheap on like my high-end gaming PC, which is not as high-end as it used it to be ran because graphics so got much better. It was a, it was a it, dude, it was like playing a different game. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, wow." And I loved it even more again so they took but but there were things about final fantasy 15 that didn't work sure and, and it's i think it's the more kingdom hearts aspects of final fantasy 15 that didn't work some of the things with the combat's a little weird but final fantasy 7 remake takes what works from final it takes what works from the turn-based games it takes what works from final fantasy 15 and gives you a very unique and amazing experience and that and Resident Evil 2 are at like the tops for best remakes ever. I don't yeah, think anything yeah. comes close to either of those. And I Final Fantasy 7, the Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes, those are up there. With- they are good, but I will say this the foundations of Resident Evil are still there because the, found- the remake of Resident Evil 2 is like plays kind of like Resident Evil 4, which isn't a bad thing, obviously, as I've said in this podcast. I feel that Final Fantasy 7 remake is more remade than. Resident Evil 2 is. But to be fair, I got to be fair was fair. Those two remakes are almost untouchable. I don't think anything comes close. No, no, I think you're right. So me and Mike, we've said it before many times this podcast, we don't normally replay video games. You know, there's too many games out there, but that just shows how good Final Fantasy 7 remake is that I've been itching many times. And I did play play the interlude like and go back and play it a bit. And here Mike is doing it. it. It's that good that you're tempted to be like, should I play that game again? It's that good. So I have been going back to Hades a little bit. I know I talked about it on what we've been playing. That game, it's something that I know Mike said, and we said here back when we were doing a game of the year two years ago, like, nah, it's not good enough. How did that game win game of the year? It's that good. And I hope one day Mike could give it another try. What, what got me into it was I was on a forums and someone said, here's some tips. Here's what you could do. It'll make the game more approachable for those that don't like this type of game. And that that clicked for me. It did it. And I just got hooked on this game. I'm so, glad. Yeah. I'm glad. I've given it a lot of tries, Matt. But <laughs> I, I'm happy that you were able to find the appreciation for it. I, I, I think that's awesome. I think and it's, it's great. Game. It's great that there there are those folks out there who kind of like can educate us when we kind of miss something. And that's cool. No, I listened to what you were saying and we, you know, what you said in the last episode. And I, I think that's awesome that it has these modes that make it more palatable for people who aren't really into how the game functions. Yeah. So that's awesome, dude. That's great. Yeah. And besides that, for longtime listeners, you will be rewarded. We're hearing this. I completed and beat 
Super Paper Mario on the Switch, the Origami King. I went back to it this past week. I don't know why. I just I hadn't played it in like two months, and I beat the stapler, and I got up to the Origami King in you know Peach's Castle, and I finally uh, saved the day. So this was like a forty-five hour RPG. It it was a good. I'd say you know what? I'm not giving enough credit. It's like an eight point five. It's like a good. Like it just misses being like an A minus. It's like a solid B plus. It's a really good game that that Nintendo has on their hands. It just it just doesn't do things that could have made it like really really special. I know we've talked about it at nauseum. We're gonna say it again. <laughs> would have got would have got that A minus if it had stats. There you go. It's all it needed. And they they put such like small type stats. They go like one fifth of the way there. And if they just would yeah. have like really gotten into it, but it, it but it it is a solid game. It's a good game. And I do recommend it for those that like a lighter RPG. It has yeah. a lot of fun exploration and, and puzzles. It's also just the one of the best games to look at. Like, it's what pretty. a beautiful game. I never get sick of how colorful and vibrant. I know it's Paper Mario, so it's, these but, games are always colorful, but you really got to give it credit. No, nah, uh, it's really, really good. It's great. Like you, I just wish it just had a little bit more yeah, RPG yeah. stuff. Because I like to get that it's scratched. Yeah, uh, I want to level up. I want better yeah, armor. I want yeah. better weapons. That's because I come from the Mario RPG camp. So that game is even still like baby's first RPG. So I hope Hit Mario does go back to that. But you know what? If they continue this trend and they do something else that's like an RPG over at Nintendo like that, like Nintendo could use a mid-tier RPG. They got a strategy RPG. They have like their epic RPG with, with Xenoblade. They have Fire Emblem for the strategy RPG. We could use, like, maybe make a new thing. Maybe bring back Mother. Who knows? Or one of their series that, like, they've ignored, like Star Fox, something. Make that into JRPG. I mean, just try something new, Nintendo. We're here for it. Listen, do something with Star Fox, guys. <laughs> Come on. You got, I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's a great IP. We've said it. The lore is good. The characters are good. IP is good. It's so, so good. So, Mike, it'll be a surprise for even for myself next week when I'll be playing. There's a few games I have loaded up, and I'm like, do I want to start this? Do I want to start that? And it's really, it's a quiet time for new games. You know, we're yeah. recording this towards the end of April, and there's not going to be any major releases nope. for, for a little bit. I mean, I don't consider the new Switch sports game a major release. So, no, I know. I don't care. There's not much coming out for the next few months, really, on any of the consoles because Elden Ring and, and Horizon, those games are all here already. Yeah. Kirby. So it'll be interesting to see what's the next big game out because I think people are starting to get, start looking around. Yeah. I don't think there's a huge release coming out too soon. I think a lot of the big stuff that's coming out are like re releases, remasters, remakes. Things like that. So, like the next game on my radar, I think. Oh well, there's like the the Ninja Turtles collection that I bought, which doesn't have a release date. Yeah, they just said 2022. Yeah. yeah, the the that collection doesn't have a release date. The new Ninja Turtles game doesn't have a release date yet. No, no. I have like the Capcom Fighting Collection. I'm gonna get, but yep. like nothing stands out right now to me for me until Live Alive comes out in July. But that's a niche title. That is a you know lucky if it sells a million. Microsoft had their big titles end of last year. Yep. Sony had a couple of theirs, and we might get God of War later this year. And Nintendo's been sort of quiet. We heard Xenoblade three and Splatoon three, but we don't have concrete dates, and that could be that might be November December. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see what I'm sure by the time this 
releases. We'll have had like 17 trailers went up, new new games are being released, but here we are sitting towards the end of April and there's not there's not much uh, that we know about, Mike. My my prediction here is that Splatoon will release in like June, July, August. I think it's a summer game. I think the vibe of that game is summer. I think that has to release in the summer. It's kind of got almost like a Mario Sunshine kind of like vibe to it. I think the chaotic, wacky water war, water war kind of thing really ties itself into a summer release. I think that's a summer release. Obviously, Pokemon is releasing, and I'm telling you this right now, Pokemon is releasing the Friday before Thanksgiving. That's it. That's the big fall game that will release that day. Uh, you could look up the dates all you want, but just let, let it be known here. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet will be releasing on the Friday before Thanksgiving 2022 because that is the big game of the year. But as for that, yeah, like you said, we don't know when these games are going to come out. So it's kind of like, all right, we'll see what we get. E3 is a few months away. Well, no, I'm sorry. E3 isn't happening anymore. The time that would have been E3 is a few months away. So we'll see what goes on. We, we'll see what type of event, digital event takes its place. But yeah, I expect some releases and some announcements probably sometime in the early summer or late spring. And I do think that Splatoon 3 will, will release probably in the summer. I think Xenoblade will either be a September release or it will be maybe a December release, maybe like right before the holidays, but we'll see. Yeah, it's something definitely to look forward to. So that was our episode for Assassin's Creed 2. That's what we've been playing lately. I am Matt Levy and that gentleman on the other side was Mike Stab. Mike, where can they find you? Sure. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore Mike underscore Staub. And uh, you can also find me with my band, Bad Mary. We're doing a lot. Bad Mary has has been doing a lot. If you can hear it in my voice, it's because we've played a whole bunch of shows and have done a whole bunch of recording and have been shooting video and and doing a lot. It's been a lot. So uh, you can find them at Bad Mary Band pretty much across all your platforms or go to badmary.com. And my podcast with my friend Jordan, how about this? We're, we're slowing up on releases a little bit just because we're uh, working on another project and uh, I've been in this move and all that stuff, but we're still releasing stuff. You can find us at How About This Pod on Instagram and Facebook. I'm starting a new podcast for the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series called The Batman Tasticast, which will we've started kind of the, the beginnings of the working on that. And we're going to record an episode by episode kind of uh, look into that. So be excited for that for the 30th anniversary of Batman the Animated Series. And last but not least, the second weekend in August is Long Island Retro Gaming Expo. So you should go to that. It is a great way to spend your weekend and I will be working and you can come see me and tell me that my views on Assassin's Creed are wrong. So that's where you can find it. And you can find me here. Find me here every week. Guys, Hall of Fame video game podcast. Check out social media. Check our back catalog on Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcast at. So thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you guys all next time. Later. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame game podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame pod or email us at the Hall of Fame pod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.